I'm Paul Levinson, and this is Light On, Light Through, episode 49, a conversation with Ken Hudson, a.k.a. Kenny Hubble, about Second Life. Now, this episode of Light On, Light Through is going to be a little different from just about all of our other episodes. Ken and I had such a good conversation, at least in my opinion, that I let it run on over 30 minutes. The conversation, in fact, is about 33, 34 minutes in length. And I'm going to play the whole conversation for you with one brief commercial interruption in the middle of the conversation. But we are going to forego our flashes section for this episode. I will, though, of course, play our promo suite, our much-beloved promo suite at the end. Now, I actually was interviewed by Ken in Second Life a few weeks ago, and you can find the link to that interview, and it's an hour-long interview, and you can see the whole animated video of the interview on lightonlightthrough.com. But now here, without further ado, is my interview with Ken Hudson of Second Life. Well, I'm happy to be here with Kenny Hubble, a.k.a. Ken Hudson. As you know, we recently did an interview. Actually, Kenny interviewed me on Second Life. I had a wonderful time uh, doing the interview. I've gotten all kinds of great feedback on it. So I thought I'd bring Kenny over here to Light On, Light Through to talk a little bit about Second Life, about how Kenny got involved in it, and all sorts of good things. Good to have you here, Ken. Awesome uh, to be here, Paul, and uh, thanks again for joining us in Second Life. I know all the feedback I received is really positive as well. Well, good. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, you know, it's a rarity. <laughs> but, uh, um, I just didn't listen to the other feedback. There you go. Right. Uh, you know, <laughs> selective listening is, is definitely a good thing. <laughs> Although, actually, you know, um, one of the things I think about Second Life is everyone who's there really loves being there. Let's talk about how you first got involved in it. When did you first hear about Second Life? Uh, tell us a little bit about what Second Life is and how did you first uh, get into that world? Sure. Uh, part of uh, what I'm interested in, like you, is uh, emerging technologies and platforms. And uh, I always have the ear, my ear to the ground in terms of uh, learning about new things and uh, giving them a try. And I heard about Second Life, gee, uh, a couple of years ago now. And uh, I, I expressed some initial interest, and then I didn't get involved, and, and so on. And, and it was really about a year ago now that I actually took the plunge. And uh, I represent a, a, a Canadian college, Loyalist College, and uh, uh, what I do for them is uh, investigate new learning uh, technologies and platforms. And so I took the plunge last year and uh, about this time and uh, went into Second Life to investigate really research whether the college could do some teaching there and how that would be for the students. And um, I, I'll tell you, the, I, I'm not really, I hadn't been involved in um, massive uh, multiplayer online gaming, although I tried some out, but I hadn't really been involved. So, so it's a bit skeptical at first, actually. I wasn't, you know, a hardcore gamer who saw the potential right away. So I, I had to be, it had to prove itself to me. And uh, maybe the third day I was in Second Life, I was uh, teleporting around to the various uh, uh, campuses that had already been set up, and I teleported over to the uh, Harvard campus. Harvard Law had uh, been conducting a course in Second Life last year, Cyber One, uh, and uh, um, I, 
I bumped into some students from the course, and we had a little conversation. It was all very natural, and I was amazed just to be involved in having a conversation. And they asked me, this, this, I have some artistic talent, and they said, well, would you like to become involved in our campaign? That's part of the intent of this Harvard course was to involve Internet users at large to supplement the group's skills and talents. And uh, I said, sure, let's, get, let's do it. And uh, so for about uh, uh, six weeks, I was involved in uh, the Cyber One course. We, we started a campaign, the Slacker campaign, which is Second Life Adult Content Reminder. And it was part of their coursework and, for me, a really great experience. And immediately I saw the potential in terms of uh, group collaboration, in terms of distance learning. And uh, from there, I must say, I dug right in. Well, you certainly have, and uh, you. By the way, you cut a really fine figure in Second Life with that uh, that black outfit, and uh, uh, you know, very very cool. Uh, you know, it's interesting. You say that uh, Second Life is comes from the gaming tradition, and I, I see a lot of people talking about, in effect, playing Second Life. Mm-hmm. But you know, from my perspective. It's so realistic inside that it doesn't really feel like a game at all, uh, in, in, in a good sense. Wouldn't you agree? I do agree, and I think that the the difference is, and and we would call it maybe M U V E, multi-user virtual environment, rather than M M O R G. And uh, the distinction being, there is no narrative story arc. And without that arc, without that algorithm that inevitably you play against in a gaming situation it's left to be uh, created by the users. And so literally you can do anything there that you choose to. You can define the experience. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, um, but um, more importantly, uh, uh, all of the people around you can define their experience. So you have a real society. You have a real collective of people uh, building and creating and starting ventures and holding events. And... Uh, What's amazing to me is how organic the entire uh, uh, environment um, uh, develops and how things change really rapidly. So so I agree with you completely. Uh, I think I, I would maybe just have one footnote to that, which is to say that, that for a lot of people, they see it as a game because the interface resembles a game, and the, the way we control your avatars is essentially the same that you would control a, a game player. And so, so it does have a game interface, but once you get in, there isn't a... There isn't any real rules. <laughs> yeah, you well, know, the, there are rules, but uh, but there are no rules defining the style of experience you can have. Interesting. You know, the first article or one of the first articles I ever really had published uh, it was a scholarly article called "Toy, Mirror, and Art: The Metamorphosis of Technological Culture." And in fact, I wrote that w- way back in, in the in the late 1970s uh, as an essay for the uh, for my doctoral program at NYU. In fact, Neil Postman was my mentor in that program and what I did in that article is consider I don't even remember how I came up with the idea but consider how so many of our great technologies made their first entrance into our popular culture as toys for example the telephone was first looked at as a scientific toy Uh, motion pictures people at first just were thrilled by seeing any motion uh, on on a screen or in a kinetoscope they didn't really care much about the story. And then, of course, as it developed, these technologies became used for much more practical 
practical purposes and eventually for art. So uh, it strikes me that uh, what you're saying about Second Life is, in effect, it comes from the gaming tradition, but mm-hmm. it's now much more than that, and, and it certainly has gone into the threshold of, of real life, that is, real life in a virtual setting, and, and even art uh, to some extent as well. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's interesting, this idea of the toy uh, and, 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 how, and the object toy and its relation to the activity play. And, uh, and I think in traditional game senses, there's, play is a defined boundary. And uh, rather than, uh, as Winnicott might say, the psych- child psychologist, uh, a, uh, a, uh, a uh, overlapping of my world with yours mm-hmm. into this fantasy space. And so uh, I think that, that this is true, true cultural play. And uh, when you have that dynamic and you have uh, the ability to uh, 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 generate a, a culture, uh, then you really do move towards a, a, a living in a, a state of uh, artistic creation all of the time. That's one of the charges for me. You, you meet people and you have an aesthetic connection with them. They've represented themselves. And I think it's, um, it's always creative. That's how it feels to me as an environment. And I think one of the things that really gives Second Life an edge is this interface between the Second Life world and our real outside world. For example, just one of the things that struck me in the aftermath of our interview is the fact that uh, Second Life Cable Network, SLCN TV, in effect made a videotape of that. And now I put that videotape on MySpace, on my blog, and and what it does is it exposes people outside of Second Life to what's going on inside Second Life. Yeah, and I I think that's a huge breakthrough. And and if you haven't had a chance to check out the work that uh, Second Life Cable Network uh, does, it's, it's great. All of their shows are archived. And uh, I, I um, participated in an in-world conference in Second Life last uh, spring, and uh, they covered it. And it really was that defining moment for Second Life. Um, it's almost it had to be observable from the outside to be real. And, uh, and uh, it really started to, uh, you know, people who wouldn't go into the, the interface itself or wouldn't get involved could still glimpse the events and the type of things that are happening as, as a permanent record. And I think that does not only make it accessible for people, but they understand that, that there's a lot of serious business going on in, in virtual spaces, uh, a lot of exploration, especially with marketers and educators and so forth. And uh, 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 this allows them to glimpse that and, and also uh, uh, is, again, part of the ethos of this environment allowing people to create their world. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit more about business because... Uh you know, I'm pretty venal. I'm always interested in making money. <laughs> it, makes, it makes the world go around. And um, I, you know obviously much more about this, but my understanding is there. what you can do is with your real money, you can buy money that you can use in Second Life, right? Linden, yeah. okay. Linden uh, Dolls. Linden Dolls, right. Um, but, but do you know uh, of any specific examples of, of how much money people have made in Second Life? I mean, has anyone become rich uh, is oh, absolutely absolutely uh, just a little bit about that it's a it's a it's a it's a currency in second life and many games have play money like monopoly or something like that i guess and uh, the difference is it's more like a, like a, a poker chip you buy the poker chip and then at the end of playing hopefully you cash out the poker chips and uh, in in, a, in the same way you invest in the linden currency so that you can purchase real estate 
uh, uh, or you can uh, create objects in Second Life, and those objects have proprietary rights to your avatar. So you can set those objects to be for sale. And, uh, and so many people are making a little bit of money in Second Life doing that. Uh, a select group of people are making thousands of dollars a month doing that. And uh, there's one uh, real estate uh, uh, mogul in uh, Second Life, uh, Ashni Chung, who's based in uh, Germany, who's made over a million U.S. dollars selling real estate in Second Life. Now, what, what real estate in Second Life is, is uh, in effect a place in this virtual world where you can build things and people yes. can come to that place. Uh, yes. so, so, and, so then how did this person make over a million dollars? Just by charging admission to his place? or No, by, by uh, buying... I don't know the secrets, or, or I would be talking about a different uh, topic here today, Paul. But uh, uh, essentially, I, I, I would say it, it involves buying large pieces of land, whole sims, mm -hmm. and then subdividing it and developing those, and then marketing, of course. Okay, but here's an interesting point. Uh, in the real world, there is a finite amount of land, right? I yes. mean, so and, and furthermore, land that's located closer to, say, you know, a big city like New York City is worth more than land, which is, you know, someplace in the Arctic tundra. Yes. So, but in Second Life, isn't it the case that there's an infinite amount of land, and you can then teleport instantly from one place to another? Well, it's not infinite because the land is representative of uh, storage space, uh, and so so each sim, each which is about uh, 65,000 square meters, 16 acres of space, virtual space, is contained in one one uh, 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 area on the computer, and so so in a sense you're buying bandwidth space, okay, and, and that space can hold x amount of objects and so forth. And uh, so if, if, if Linden Lab, the developer of Second Life, had an infinite amount of money to infinitely uh, uh, host that space, then it would be infinite. Okay, uh, so but that... in fact, it, it is based on their storage capacity, and uh, as they grow, they add more, and as the population grows in Second Life, they add more, but I think they, they never want there to be an excess. I, I don't think they have the resources to make an excess at the moment. Okay, so that answers the first question, which makes sense. What about the proximity question? Isn't everything yeah. equidistant? In, in yeah, not as much of an issue, obviously, because uh, one teleports and uh, one can be found in, this, in a similar sort of search, uh, search way as uh, Google would find a website. Um, the only difference being the, uh, that different sims have different um, uh, topographical uh, uh, features. So one could say that, uh, you know, and there are mountaintop snow sims, and there are tropical waterfront sims, mm -hmm. and so the tropical ones would probably have a bit more of an edge. Yeah, unless you unless you're an Eskimo or I don't know. That's is that, right. Are you doing it, Santa's yeah. Village? <laughs> <laughs> right around Christmas time. Exactly. No, yeah, no doubt about that. Um, let's talk about the identities that people take. Now, it's obviously the case not only in Second Life but throughout the Internet that uh, a man can pretend to be a woman, a child can pretend to be an adult, and vice versa. But, yes. I, but I assume that that's been developed to a really fine art uh, uh, in Second Life. Well, I think that, I think that there, there's a flexibility of persona, of identity within Second Life that allows you not only to be one identity uh, but, but multiple personas in that, within that identity. So 
So one could have several avatars and work under the same name, or one could have several avatars under different names. Certainly, uh, uh, gender is flexible there. I understand that 16% of all the women in Second Life are actually men. Oh my God! So, so if I'm, uh, you know, walking by the Media Ecology Pavilion, and, yes. and a beautiful woman, you know, says, uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed, uh, you know, the interview that Kenny Hubble did with you. There, there's that's a right. there's a what a, a 15% chance that uh, it could be a man. Well, hey, that's okay. I, I like being that's admired. Right. By everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be deceived by appearances. That would be the lesson there. But um, uh, uh, and and of course animal forms as well. Uh, and so so what's exciting I think about that culturally is that uh, you know on the internet we play our identity. That's already determined. You know in Facebook or in chat or something like this. And here we get to literalize that in a in a creative way. And and I think that that uh, not only expands uh, people's ideas of themselves but also they can try out uh, different approaches or different looks and, uh, and play with their identity in a, in a really dynamic way. Um, avatars, uh, from what I understand it, in the research that's going on in terms of people, how, how people represent themselves, avatars are aspirational. And so people tend to invest them with the qualities that they wish they had. Mm-hmm. And uh, not only that, the experience of avatars, being an avatar, is a, a cyclical experience so that that avatar identity begins to affect your, your real-life identity on, on some level, uh, depending on how long you're in Second Life. I'll tell you, here's my, my experience of that, is that I, I have a yoga mat in Second Life. Mm-hmm. And often I'll have Second Life on my desktop while I'm doing other, other work. And uh, when I'm not actively doing something in Second Life, I might get my avatar to do some yoga postures. And I might be only glance the avatar out of the corner of my eye, but I find myself sitting up a bit straighter in my chair as a result. That's and, a great uh, That's example. something I've noticed, you know, just uh, in passing. But, but I think the potency for, um, for utilizing these tools for exploring identity and personality and, uh, and even the psychology is, is profound. It does sound profound. Let's just focus a little bit more on, on how you can have multiple identities. So just to be clear, you are... Ken Hudson in reality, just like I'm Paul Levinson. That's right. Okay, on Second Life, I've I've met uh, your Kenny Hubble avatar, who was you know kind enough to do that fabulous interview with me. Yes. So so in the first place, y- you could have different avatars under the name Kenny Hubble, r- right? Yes, I okay. could change the shape of Kenny Hubble, the skin, how he's textured, his clothes, his hair, his height, any feature is totally adaptable. Okay, and you could take out totally different names like John Adams. In other words, Ken Hudson doesn't have to be Kenny Hubble. You could also be John Adams or anything else. Yes, uh, uh, Second Life allows uh, the first avatar that you register to be free. It doesn't cost you anything. If you wanted to register another avatar name, you, it, there's a, a cost, which I think is nine ninety-five. Nine ninety five a month or forever? No, or a, a one time charge to have uh, have a second avatar. That's not too bad. Yeah. And and then thirdly, uh, you could also have an avatar called Carolyn Hubble if you wanted to. In other words, a female avatar. Yeah. And you could also have an avatar dog 
uh, hobble. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I have a I have a pony avatar, which is really crazy. And uh, when I'm working with some fellows who I do creative work in Second Life, oftentimes uh, I'll express my dissatisfaction with the work by by uh, coming up as a pony and kicking them. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> that's right. That's good. They get I the like message. That. Yeah, hey, you know, uh, I think that has a lot of possibilities. Uh, there's many time, many time I've wanted to go into the uh, to a dean's office at Fordham University and you know just you know become like an insane chimp and start trashing the desk. So uh, maybe I'll see if I can figure out how to do that. It <laughs> is, and I mean, it, there's a retrieval of the shapeshifter. Mm-hmm. That's right. Right. Uh, yes. It's from from Aboriginal cultures. That's right. And and uh, I, you know, I I understand that there's a there's a great fantasy fulfillment here in Second Life. It is a fantasy world, but in a lot of respects, it's also resembles in my mind a, a dreamscape, uh, mm-hmm. where because it isn't controlled. It's not like I uh, I create my my little Second Life, and it doesn't overlap. It's constantly overlapping with the world mm-hmm. uh, in Second Life, which is surreal. Or hyper real. I, mean, I think the the experience is hyper real, but the content can be terribly surreal. You never know who's going to walk by next or what. And again, that's that's one of the, I think, keenest uh, points about Second Life: the 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 edge between Second Life and and real life. The Light on Light Through podcast is proud to be part of the Blueberry Network. That's Blueberry with no E's dot com. And we'll be back in a minute with a little discussion of sex in Second Life. How's that for a teaser? Hello, this is David G. Hartwell. I'm a senior editor at Tor and Forge Books in New York. I've been editing science fiction since 1970. I've edited a lot of people over the course of my career, but I'm pleased to also be the editor of Paul Levinson. I edited his first novel, The Silk Code. And I edited his most recent novel, The Clock Saves Socrates, and all the books in between. Athens, 2042 AD. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves then ripped what was left, again, into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Sierra Waters had read once that, years ago, it was thought that men made love for the thrill, while women made love for the sense of connection it gave them. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left again into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Entertainment Weekly says the plot to save Socrates is challenging fun. The New York Daily News says it's a Da Vinci-esque thriller. And Curled Up with a Good Book says Sierra Waters is sexy as hell. You can find out more about The Plot to Save Socrates by Paul Levinson at theplottosavesocrates.com. What about um, interactions? During our interview, 
you know, obviously people waved at me, and you know, we could uh, actually you were smiling. I haven't figured out how to smile yet, <laughs> but which is ironic because that's pretty much all I do in person is smile. So, <laughs> but um, you know, can people shake hands, or, or let's even get to a more interesting uh, aspect? What, what happens if a couple want to make love in Second Life? I mean, how, how does that work? Sure. Uh, there are objects uh, that are scripted that allow you to do pretty much any activity. So it would uh, animate your avatar. Uh, for example, I often go to dance clubs, and there'll be a like a disco ball above the dance floor. And if you click that disco ball, it'll say, do you want to animate your avatar to dance? And you say yes, and you start dancing in a scripted way with the other people there. Uh, human sexuality, of course, tends to pave the way in new media, <laughs> mm -hmm. and uh, and 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 that's absolutely the case in uh, Second Life. There, uh, one could participate in any sexual act imaginable. Really, and yeah. and, and now how would that work? Though, in other words, you you uh, let's just we'll, we'll try to keep this. I don't know, PG or something. <laughs> Let, let's just assume uh, you know a couple wants to passionately kiss. So, yes. what, so so what would that look like? You know, as you would see on your screen, you, your avatar and the and the person you are kissing, embracing, and it would look so realistic. Exactly, exactly. Okay. Uh, you can script the the actions. Uh, to animate these avatars in any any way you can imagine, okay. uh, and so so one could go one could get a bed for example that has these scripts in embedded in the object, and then when you lay on the bed you get the option of uh, let's say a menu of choices. That okay. was pretty PG. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, you know, and pretty intriguing. Now, yeah, when... and and not only that, it's romance as well, right? The, the, right. The, you know, people make connections in this immediate and intimate. Uh, we called it the other night. A w there's a warmth to this experience, mm -hmm. and that certainly stimulates people's uh, erotic connections. And uh, marriage is one of the most popular, or partnering is one of the most popular things to do when that happens in Second Life. So you can actually define some other avatar as your partner in Second Life. And there's a thriving wedding business in Second Life from everything from gowns to photography to uh, wedding cakes and so forth. Amazing. So now is this uh, infidelity if you're married to someone else offline or... What happens in that case? Well, I, I, I could, I, I think that it, uh, you're leaving me the moral judge of this. Yeah. Uh, I would say that's up to each each person's right. conscience. Of course, but I, but I guess really <laughs> the thrust of my question, but I guess you've answered, is that there is probably, uh, or, or definitely, from what you're saying, a lot of coupling, even to the point of of almost marriage-like situations among people yes. who are otherwise married offline, and you know. If that's I, I think that that's the case. I think yeah. that that's the case. It's uh, it's you know it's play, and uh, because it's of its immediacy and aesthetic value, it's certainly erotic. You know, in the in the in the in the strict definition of eros as a connecting principle, mm -hmm. and uh, and so so I think it certainly does lead people into that as well. Now we're talking about married people, but what about single people in remote locations or people who are, you know, maybe shy? It gives them the opportunity of meeting people and having having a dynamic social life. Uh, one of the uh, most um, heartwarming audiences uh, or participant groups in Second Life uh, are the disabled. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I know there are dance clubs for disabled people, for example. That is, that is very nice. It's almost poignant. When when we did our interview, we were talking. As we were, you know, our voices were uh, 
in the actual interview. You know, yeah. we hooked up through Skype and all that stuff. Uh, but um, can couples talk to each other, or is it just texting at this point? No, uh, the reason we did that and it was to uh, to uh, that we did our interview with Skype rather than a chat, uh, a voice chat in Second Life was a technical reason so that we could control the the audio output so it could be balanced. But now voice is fully operational in Second Life. Um, you can speak and uh, with a headset microphone or something like that and be heard and have a conversation. That conversation could be private if you would like or public. And so, and, and that's a fairly new add-on to Second Life maybe about three months ago. So, so really incredibly fast growth and also uh, uh, lots of new features coming in all the time. But you could speak in the same way we're speaking on the phone, only we would be in a room speaking together. So that's that's great. So, for, for example, I could, uh, as I sometimes do in my classes, uh, sing a song to make a point, and uh, it, you know it would be heard. Or, uh, yeah. you know, someone could whisper a sweet nothings into someone else's ear, or any kind of passionate thing. In, in addition to texting, I do. I think that is an incredibly uh, big step forward because you know the, the limits of text are. Well, you know, as McLuhan pointed out, it's just flat, two-dimensional letters on a screen, but yes. uh, the the acoustic, the oral world is much richer. And of course, you're surrounded in that world already, so so it 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 it, it is the the obvious uh, add-on to to make it that much more realistic. Now, I know that you're a musician and songwriter as well, Paul, and uh, and uh, uh, independent musicians are using this space to perform. So Amazing. they stream their performance into a, a nightclub and then represent their avatar with a guitar animation or something like that. And uh, live music is one of the most popular activities in Second Life. That's great. Now, I actually have MP3s of uh, most of my stuff, including something new I just wrote about a year or two ago called Lime Streets. But, uh, yeah, I see what you're saying. So I could actually uh, get those MP3s piped into Second Life and then have myself perform them as an avatar with, uh, in my case, probably sitting at a piano or standing up and singing harmony. Yeah, no, absolutely, you could do that. And additionally, I think what's exciting is that musicians are doing that live. So they're right. sitting in their home studio and they're streaming their their actual performance before a live audience in Second Life, and they're watching the audience, and so they have a, a sense of really performing. You know, this is such a good interview. I think we're going to go a few minutes longer uh, than uh, we usually do these interviews. I have a feeling people are going to be listening to this interview for hundreds of years into the future. So. Um, Let's so, hope it doesn't obsolesce quickly. <laughs> no, no, no it'll, it'll keep reversing itself into itself. It'll be like a, a infinite regress. But um, what do you see um, as the future for Second Life? And, and just to sort of paint this, this question in, in broader strokes, one possibility is that everyone will have a Second Life life in addition to their real life. I guess in the same way that, you know, just about everyone nowadays has a cell phone, has a computer. Mm -hmm. uh, the other possibility is it's a more selected group of people. Um, which is the way Second Life is now. Now, how many millions of people are on Second Life now? What is it, about 10 million? I don't 10 million know. registered users, approximately. Okay. And, and so out of that, I, I'm not sure of the exact numbers of regular users, but a couple of million anyway, you know, two okay. or three million regulars. And at any given time, you're looking at about 40 or 50,000 people in the world. Okay. Um, and so, 
So it's an interesting question, and I think that, first of all, you know, Second Life is only one of these multi-user virtual environments that are springing up. Uh, there's other product platforms that that already occur that predate Second Life that are doing a little different thing. or uh, And so, so it's sort of a revolution in terms of this platform. Uh, with Second Life uh, itself, uh, you know, it has a lot of publicity, it, it, or gets a lot of publicity. It certainly is is accessible for the the, the average person who wants to get in, and a lot of people are there. So it so it makes it, you know, you don't want to go to a virtual world with 25 people. That wouldn't be very exciting. And so the fact that it is growing and people are getting involved actually makes it more of a draw. But one statistic that I use in in talking about uh, multi-user virtual environments to educators and other clients is this idea that, and, and I, I don't have the reference here, but, I, but I've seen it in a few places, but it's by 2011, approximately 80% of all Internet users will have a Second Life style virtual identity. Wow, that's that's amazing. Huge, that is, huge that, number of people. That is, and yeah, so now is. whether that virtual identity is actually something that you know, like a game client, like Second Life, where you, you you commit to one game client and that's where your identity is, or more likely to see an add-on to a Facebook-style social networking that allows you to kind of jump into various worlds. Uh, and uh, sort of move between these, you know, maybe a traditional game space to a social space to a creative uh, business space like Second Life. Um, and, and so I think that there would be a lot of development along those lines to integrate uh, the 3D with the 2D experience. Um, and, and I think that that will give people, you know, it won't be so all on, in other words. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and I think that, that that keeps people from getting involved, perhaps. Uh, you know, a lot of people use Facebook, for example. I mean, a lot is an understatement. And, right. uh, and, uh, and so to, if, uh, if there was an adjunct uh, virtual world that they could, with a light client, for example, get into easy, so forth, I think that would be, I, I believe that's where the industry's heading. I think that we're, that's where these social networking platforms are heading, is to integrate virtual worlds into other uh, product bases or platforms. For example, the Sony uh, PS3 station, the video game platform, has a, uh, a Sony at home virtual world connected to it. So I mm -hmm. could be playing in a video game, a traditional video game on my Sony PlayStation, and then I'll take a break and meet my friends in a social collective space online, and then we all decide we're going to go into another game and play together. Yeah, MySpace is already a little uh, down the road on that. I mean, not all that much uh, developed, but there is a, a group with a few thousand users on My on MySpace, which mm -hmm. is a, a Second Life group. And in fact, I posted the uh, you know the video of our interview, and right. people are already commenting on it. I don't know if you can click on something and get into Second Life directly, but that seems to be a relatively uh, you know easy thing to do. I think your analysis is completely right. I think w what's already happened on the web prior to these virtual worlds is it's now increasingly easy. I mean, if you think about even the difference between Firefox and Explorer, mm -hmm. it, it's much easier on Firefox to just go from, from one site to another, yeah. uh, even even not from the site, but just from your computer. And, uh, you know, in the, in the case of some sites, it's extremely easy to go from that site to another site. So I think integrating the virtual worlds into that is, is indeed uh, where it's headed. Um, 
Okay, let's let's wrap this up, uh, you know, and tell us any final uh, things uh, that you might like to say. And for my listeners, just to make you envious, uh, after uh, Ken and I wrap up this interview, we're going to keep talking a little bit. You won't hear it, but uh, Ken and I will be cooking up some secret plans for. Right, there's a what. book coming out though, the diaries of Kenny Hubble. I assure you, it's full disclosure of what happens after. <laughs> that would be a great book. I definitely buy it. <laughs> well. I think what's exciting is that 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 Second Life offers a really easy opportunity to sort of glimpse the future of how we'll interact, and and even if you know, like myself, I wasn't you know involved in multi multiplayer online games, uh, even though I was aware of them and I had some experience with them. So you know, those of you who are curious about it, it's really quite easy to get involved and and get in and check it out, and and I think that there's something there for everyone. And uh, and it's not a static environment. It's very creative, and and so uh, I'm I'm all for the belief that everyone has a creative streak in it. And I think Second Life in a minute, I think Second Life uh, as a platform really draws that out in you. And and uh, I think if we're making art, we're not making war. <laughs> well, I agree with you completely. Or another way of putting it is, if we're going to make war, let's do it virtually, so no, <laughs> so no one is 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 really hurt. Exactly. Listen, thanks, Ken. It, it was great talking to you. Same here, Paul. Thank you for the opportunity. You're very welcome. And that's the sweet music of our promo suite. Hey, and thank you, Ken Hudson, a.k.a. Kenny Hubble. We'll see you in Second Life. And we've got some really exciting episodes of Light on Light through for you in the weeks and months ahead, including an interview with Stan Schmidt, Dr. Stanley Schmidt, the editor of Analog Magazine, the preeminent publisher of short science fiction in the world. But now for our promos. And you're going to hear promos from Mike Thinks News, the savviest podcast in town. For Sean Farrell's patio book of my first novel, The Silk Code. For the Punk Horror Podcast. For the Ron Paul Podcast. And a new promo for a new podcast about Journeyman. Listen, I had a great time talking to you. We're just about out of time. I look forward to talking to you next time. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and enjoy. the Mike Thinks podcast, www.mikethinks.com. News and current events with an opinion. The Mike Thinks podcast. It's the news you missed. www.mikethinks.com. The Locus award-winning novel by Paul Levinson comes to life in this free podcast novel. Journey into the ancient world witness the wonder of ages past and join Phil D'Amato in a struggle against forces both ruthless and unseen. Visit www.thesilkcode.blogspot.com to learn more about the author and the novel.
and subscribe today at patiobooks.com. Punk Horror Podcast, coming to you every other week from Punk Horror Press, featuring The Punk and the Pastor, a movie review show featuring David Giannis and Stacey Campbell, and author Red Fiction, featuring the best in horror and punk fiction. Don't miss it. Subscribe now at www.punkhorror.com. Hey there, I hope you'll come over and check out the Ron Paul Fancast. It's a really great place for people who are fans of Ron Paul and for people who would like to know why we're all fans of Ron Paul. For the most part, this show is a show of testimonials. People like you and like me who want to share why they support Ron Paul. I hope you'll come and join us at ronpaulfancast.libson.com. So you already know about podcasts. You may already know about NBC's new show, Journeyman. Well, my name is Troy Price, and I do a podcast on Journeyman, and I invite you to join me. Watch Journeyman, 9 o'clock on NBC, and then tune in via iTunes Tuesday morning for reviews and laughs about the previous night's show.